the plumb line of uh, judgment. <clears throat> I want you to look first before we begin to read our, schedule, uh, our uh, sermon at verse 1. You see there these words, This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. Amos, a minor prophet, says, This is what the Sovereign Lord has showed me. Then look at verse 4. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. And then at verse 7, you see, this is what he showed me. There are five visions in the book of Amos, and we're going to be uh, sort of referring to the three of the visions uh, uh, this morning. But the point that I want to make is, Amos is not speaking of his own experience. He's not speaking out of his own viscera. He's not speaking out of his own mind. He's speaking about what the Lord showed him. And he repeats that three times in this chapter, uh, you know, at the beginning of this chapter. So we're talking about what the Lord showed him. Verse 7, This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. Now, the Hebrew text says God is standing not by the wall, but on the wall. And that makes more sense than by the wall because you hang a plumb line from the top down to the bottom, you see. And so he's really standing on the wall with the plumb line checking how it was built. You get the picture? In his mind, he sees what the Lord showed him, a wall, God standing on the wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asks me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I said. <laughs> I mean, simple conversation going on here. Then the Lord said, Look! I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword will I rise up against the house of Jeroboam. High places of Isaac could be like the castles. Like the seats of power where decisions are made for the people and he's going to take care of the decisions that are not made correctly sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined they had offered sacrifices unto all kinds of gods even in the sanctuaries of, uh, of Israel primarily the golden calf of Apis bull deity of Egypt but the point that I want to make is simply this. God will deal according to the plumb line. And that's the judgment of the plumb line. And may God bless us as we pray for understanding. Father, help us now that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be found acceptable in thy sight even as we study in the scriptures, even as we recognize how it is that thou dost stand upon the wall with a plumb line. We pray that thou will bless. 
for each one here, personally, individually, and then collectively, and then from us unto the society and the world in which we live. Teach us out of thy word this morning, we pray. May nothing be added to the word, but may thy spirit speak to us out of the word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amos the prophet was busy and active during the days, chapter 1, verse 1, of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel. And if we put that on a chronological scale, it would be somewhere 760 to 750 B.C., about 200 years after Solomon died. Now, you will recall that there were 12 tribes of people known as the Hebrews. And these tribes were named for each of the quote-unquote children of Jacob, ten of them of Jacob and two of them of Joseph, but essentially they were known as the sons of Jacob. Now the word Hebrew comes from the Egyptian word Hebrew, which is a designation of people who were from beyond the river. And of course the river is the Nile. So when Jacob brought his family, all that huge family that we talked about in the, in the uh, Sunday school class this morning, down from the land of promise, from Palestine, into the land of Goshen in Egypt, They were called Hebrews, people from beyond the river, wander, wandering Bedouin tribe people from beyond the river. And they were down in the land of Goshen for over 400 years. Now, how many generations is that? I mean, that's a lot of generations, you see. So nobody who went down came out. They stayed there 400 years, and then you'll remember they were led back to the Promised Land by Moses and uh, Joshua. And the land was divided with the names of the tribes, ten from Jacob and two from Joseph. But all of them called Hebrews, all of them called sons of Jacob. Now in the course of time, the Hebrews became known as the Israelites, known for the land in which they dwelt. And they lived in relative peace with each other, a loose configuration of tribes known as an amphictyony. Big word, which says loose confederation of people. Amphictyony. Kind of like the Presbyterian Church in America is an amphictyony, a loose confederation of people gathered together for the worship of God. They lived together in relative peace, but even as we have in Bosnia today, the tribes began to fuss 
and they fussed so that after Solomon died the civil disturbance and the unrest caused ten of those tribes the ones primarily in the northern part of the land of Israel to separate from two of the tribes who were in the southern part of the land of Israel. Now, the ten tribes that went to the north retained the name Israel. But the two that stayed in the south became known as Judah. And this is the designation of which we get the name Jews. Now, the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah, was Jerusalem. And there was the temple, and the worship of God in the temple continued, which was one of the reasons why they stayed in existence longer than the north tribes. Capital city in the north was Samaria, and the king of that, after Solomon, opened up a temple there and they put the golden calf in the temple and they worshipped the golden calf but in effect the people came from similar backgrounds similar customs same basic religion but the Bible history tells us that they lived by two philosophies of life Now, whenever people do not share respect for each other in spite of their differences, whenever people lose a unifying vision of what is good for one is good for all, and whenever people fail to have a common understanding of a man's place or purpose in the world in accordance with God's will you will have trouble in River City now this applies to your marriage your family your favorite ball team how many coaches are being fired How many stars won't play with other stars? That kind of thing. It will happen in your business, in your school. It will happen in your religious organizations. It will happen with regard to the gay rights issue. The abortion issue. How your city will be run, how your county will be run, how your state will be run, how your nation will be run, how the world will be run. It will happen with regard to any subject that you can name. If people lose a common respect, a respect for each other, a unifying vision, and a common understanding of why we're here going to have trouble 
And we have modern day situations which are analogous to the time of Amos and which become illustrations of living with different points of view. For example, you have North and South Korea. North and South Vietnam. Now all of one, but how many lives were lost futilely there? You have the division of Czechoslovakia, the seven tribes or ethnic groups of Yugoslavia. The various tribes or states of the USSR, which used to be one unified country. And 130 years ago, there were tribes south of the Mason-Nixon line, which divided from tribes north of the Mason-Dixon line and civil war broke out in America. Two different points of view. Philosophies of life. Common background, common customs, common religion, trouble, River City. Now in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, we read this question. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And the answer rhetorically is obviously what? No. When I was a boy, mom and dad took vacations by driving through the Smoky Mountains. We lived in Ohio, and we drove down through Kentucky and Tennessee and into the Smoky Mountain area on those very narrow two-lane roads they had at that time. Have any of you ever been on that road between Jellicoe and La Follette? At night, I can remember as a boy holding my breath when we came around a hairpin turn and then painted on the rock face of the mountain would be these words, prepare to meet thy God. Amos 4, verse 12. Big, squiggly, black, painted letters. What we need to recognize is that God is dealing with us in every circumstance of life in a personal way and or national or international way. I didn't know then, prepare to meet thy God, and I see through a glass darkly even today that whatever calamity we are under, either personal or public, is the result of failing to be and do what God intended for us to be and to do. In other words, the circumstances in which we as persons and the nation and nations are the result of sin 
which is not being what God intended or doing what God intended. There is a cause and effect relationship in every situation. If you want to look for it hard enough, most of us don't want to look for it. But the message of Amos is that as sin is the reason for the problem, pardon for sin is the reason for deliverance. Take away the cause, the effect will cease. Forgiveness of sin is that about which we must be most earnest. One of the tourist sites, Vicki, you may have seen this when you were over there just last week or two weeks ago. One of the tourist sites in Italy is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Did you get by there? I wondered how you could see most of those things and get to England also. But but one of the tourist sites, phenomenon, is the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Now, no one will question, whether they've seen it in person or seen a photograph, that that tower is out of plumb. Do you think the builders of the tower intended for it to be that way? Or did they build it straight and the foundation shifted? Which? Now in Turin, did you get to Turin, Vicky? Turin? Torino? In Turin, they have two towers that lean. And we have to ask, did the builders build them that way? In Florence, there is a cathedral, magnificent cathedral, huge dome, almost like St. Peter's Dome, except that you have stained glass windows all around. Now, the builders, knowing the shifting foundations of the earthquakes and so forth in Italy, wanted to do the very best job they could do. So, in one of the casements, in one of the stained glass windows, they installed a small iron ring. And on a particular day, in June, at a particular time of day, the shaft of light will come through that iron ring and shine on a brass plate on the floor of the cathedral which tells them that the building still is in plumb. Amazing. Now, someone who builds like that always wants to prove that he's built it right. Think about that now. You have to, I mean, you have to, have to mull that over in your mind. When you do something right, 
you also want other people to know that you've done it right. And so you will figure out a way to prove it. What God wants and in the cold gray dawn of the morning after what most people of the world want is an up and down plumb straight world but people do tend to deviate and they deviate in accordance with the times how they rationalize the times selfishness and untruthfulness and unkindness and covetousness of different points of view brings chaos and also chaos is an example of chastisement judgment Bible says as we sow we shall reap if we sow to the natural man we reach to the natural man if we sow to the spiritual we reap to the spiritual and the picture which is presented in our text is that God standing on the wall of our personal lives of our family lives of our society lives that we have built has a plumb line in his hand and he has a commanding view of the work of being and doing that for which he created us and he sees the quality of the work good or bad he sees the variety of the work overt or hidden he sees the influence of the work useful or harmful he sees all in the light of his word the law the plumb line question then does his plumb line hang straight for you? Does it hang straight up and down for you? Now Amos was from the southern kingdom. And he was called to go to the northern kingdom and pronounce God's judgment. Now you can imagine how he was received like Jeff Davis going to Washington talking about the destruction of the tribes in the north now both of these kingdoms were enjoying great prosperity north and south Jeroboam the king in the north was a very able leader he had subdued the enemies of the kingdom the outside enemies of the kingdom he concentrated his nation's resources on agriculture and the production of goods and on trade. The ten tribes were secure from outward 
enemies and they were strong internally yet their very prosperity was their downfall for it resulted in hey look at us pride strongest greatest nation of the world the only protector selfish luxurious excess the rich and the famous Robin came and visited them put them on TV this excess on behalf of the haves and the oppression of the weak on the have-nots and in addition in their prosperity rather than worship the one true God they were worshiping the golden calf and the sin of idolatry was added to Amos message of judgment you've heard me use this illustration before but the beat poet you remember when we had beat poets Ferlinghetti wrote a book wrote a poem in which he talked about we have in God we trust on our coins but we take it off of our dollars because they are God's living in Idolatry. He was right. Israel. So they were worshipping the golden calf. Now the story is told of a child who asked a man to pick a flower for her. And that was simple enough. But then she said, would you please put it back? And the man experienced a baffling helplessness that he never knew before. How can you explain to a child that a plucked flower cannot be put back? How can you make it clear to a young person that there are some things that once broken once mutilated can never re be replaced or even mended. Can you feel Amos' helplessness as he was called to speak in the capital city of Samaria? How do you think Warren Christopher feels? when he goes to Bosnia with the United Nations and the United States offers of help and or threats. How many peace agreements have they signed this last month and broken? But he went, Amos went, and he preached, and he prayed, and he exhorted, and he was ignored, and he was despised. Now, Hosea and Isaiah were prophets in Amos' time. But Amos was the only one who prayed for Israel. Not one of all the God-fearing people 
interceded and offered prayers for the sins of the people, prayed for the wicked. Now, he was not the only one that knew that the sins of the people had brought the misery or that the misery was the effect of the cause but he was the only one who practiced intercessory prayer as a duty and he understood that God requires intercessory prayer that God commands intercessory prayer and that in accepting intercessory prayer God glorifies himself He understood that there were temporal benefits and that temporal benefits do not exclude the final judgment promised by God. For example, in our text, we have the locusts and we have the fire and God did not bring either one of those, but he didn't stop the judgment of the plumb line. He knew that praying people are a blessing to any nation. Remind you of the purpose of the Christian church? You see, we are to be the intercessors in a wicked and perverse generation. He knew also that intercessors may be treated as enemies. All you have to do is watch television and listen to the commentators, those talking heads with all of their wisdom about the effect of people who say they believe in Jesus. enemies of the state really but he also knew that the prayers of a few men are stronger than all the armies Psalm 20 verse 7 says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses but we will remember the Lord our God Amos was shown five visions as I said and he interceded with God the first two the locusts and the fire show chastisements which stop short of complete destruction the third and the fourth confirm the irrevocable character of judgment the plumb line vision, which is our text for the morning, teaches that forgiveness can no longer be expected. You remember the psalmist says, My spirit 
will not always strive with man. This wall was out of plumb. And from the vision, we learn three things. First, men's sin can exhaust God's patience. The long-suffering of God leadeth unto repentance, Paul tells us. And you know, the Lord isn't going to return in final judgment until all of the elect are called and believe. But that just simply says that men's sins can exhaust God's patience. Now, God is not capricious. He's not subject to change. Men are capricious, subject to change, but not God. God is the sovereign ruler and the moral governor of men and of nations, and he is in earnest about the laws he's made and about the promises and the effects of those sins which come with either the keeping of the law or the breaking of the law. God will not continue to threaten and then falsify his own words by not doing or carrying through with those things which he has promised to those who refuse to hear him, to turn from their erring ways. God will do what he says. No holding back, no anger involved, no emotion. only with judgment and compassion but he will do what he says the sin of man can exhaust God's patience the second thing we learn from this particular picture of the plumb line is that the retribution of God is according to the unchangeable and inflexible rules of righteousness which he has decreed. Now, when men punish other men, very often there are different rules for different people. And very often revenge or getting even is involved. But that's not the case with the Lord. No sinner will ever be able to complain that he was chastised beyond what he deserved. And in the end, he will always have to admit the rightness and the wisdom of God's decrees. You remember the law came that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God, Romans chapter 3. That every mouth would be stopped, you see, no claiming of innocence. And the third thing that we learn from the vision is that the righteousness of God is a powerful encouragement to repentance 
and obedience. Do we recognize in the circumstances of this world, even in our personal and or public life, that God is dealing with us? And what we see happen over there could be ours? Or do we sit on the side and say, thank God that's not me, that is not I that's going through all of that? Oh, I wonder what they did that was so bad that they go through all that. If it's true that rebellion toward God will not go unpunished, beloved, what is the smart thing to do? Stop being rebellious. Try that on your 15-year-old. You see, what's the smart thing? Now, you've heard the old saying, you made your bed, sleep in it. But you know that we always have the opportunity, by God's grace, to do what? Remake the bed. We don't have to be like the dog that returns to the vomit. And the Bible teaches that the penitent and submissive will receive pardon. Now we should never forget that God's purpose of mercy is clearly shown in his purpose of judgment. You know at the final judgment, you know what our catechism says? There are going to be those who are going to be with God and heaven. going to be those who are going to go on into, into this dark place that we won't talk about. Hot down there. No light, but hot. Sauna. 365 days a year. Can't get out. No way. But you know what the final judgment is going to show? Two things. First, the judgment of God towards sin and the mercy of God. For those who know Jesus, so mercy shows judgment, judgment shows mercy. There's the two illustrations that we see on the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary. When Jesus said that first word, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see? He was dying the death for sin. At the same time, his death was displaying God's mercy for those who believe. The penitent and the submissive heart will always find pardon. That's the gospel. That becomes the gospel message. You see, God's righteousness was in Christ. The Bible teaches us that Christ came, the written word, plumb line, made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the gospel. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. 
He who never made the mistakes that we made because he didn't have self-interest always in his view was made to be sin for us. The justice of God and the punishment for sin was laid upon him. He died and the mercy and the righteousness of God is imputed to you and to me. Pardon. Justice and mercy at the cross. And we who know him are God's people. And in effect, we who know him become the what? The plumb line for the rest of the world. And we who are the plumb line for the rest of the world are, as the prophet Amos, the intercessor, calling upon God to be gracious, yet for a little while, know even then that the inevitable judgment shall come. To his praise of mercy and of absolute justice. The question is, how does the plumb line fall for us? And do we intercede Father, we thank thee again for the plumb line of judgment which teaches us about thee and about ourselves. And, O oh God, we recognize that in Christ Jesus is the fullness of the law. But our breaking of the law was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are made whole as we believe in him. We are forgiven. Pardon is ours. We become thy children, but there's a responsibility in that. We become a plumb line for the rest of the world, and we become intercessors with the message of the gospel. Lord, help us to see that each one of us here today as a believer in Jesus is as Amos, a man from the south speaking to men from the north, rejected but responsible to do and to be what God intended for us to his praise to his glory in Jesus name Amen